I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thanks so much for listening to my podcast. If you like what you hear, please follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and also at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thanks so much for listening. Enjoy it. I'm so excited to discuss my sponsor today, which is Page One Books, because my summer book bundle is ready on pageonebooks.com. And the bundle that I've put together includes three books that I picked, uh, Montauk by Nicola Harrison, More Myself by Alicia Keys, and I Miss You When I Blink by Mary Laura Philpot, all of which have been on this podcast here. Uh, it includes a Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books, Beach Tote, a cute little library card pencil slash cosmetic case, and a water bottle for staying hydrated, plus a little... Um, thing of sun lotion. So go to page1books.com, page one with the number one. So page number one books.com and check out my page one books summer bundle. Buy it as a gift, a housewarming, if you actually go somewhere or just give it to yourself. Everybody needs a treat. We've had a long spring. <laughs> page one books.com. Welcome to the third day of my July book blast. This is Beach Reads Wednesday, and I'll be releasing lots of episodes this week and next to get all these great beach reads out and also books that have come out during the quarantine or books that I think you just need to read at this time. And I just don't want you to miss these authors for any longer. So anyway, here are some great beach reads. Each episode this week will have a book that I think you should curl up with and read if you ever find the time. Sonali Dev is the author of Recipe for Persuasion, as well as several other books. She is a USA Today bestselling author who writes Bollywood-style love stories that let her explore issues faced by women around the world while still indulging her faith in a happily ever after. Her novels have been on Library Journal, NPR, Washington Post, Kirkus's Best Book of the Year list, and she's won the American Library Association's Award for Best Romance, the RT Reviewer Choice Award for Best Contemporary Romance, multiple RT Seals of Excellence, and is a Rita finalist. She's been listed for the Dublin Literary Award, and Shelf Awareness calls her not only one of the best, but one of the bravest romance novelists working today. She lives in Chicagoland with her very patient and often amused husband, and two teens who demand both patience and humor, plus the world's most perfect dog. Well, thanks so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to talk about your latest book. <laughs> Yay! Thank you for having me. This is very exciting. Oh, it's my pleasure. So you are a Bollywood, like what, passionate per like you're just obsessed with the Bollywood theme. Tell me about how you started writing about, about all of it. Just tell me everything and tell me about recipe for persuasion and everything. Great. <laughs> my favorite thing to talk about. So so I grew up in India. I moved here many, many, many years ago, but I grew up in India and Bollywood films and, and basically on was raised watching Bollywood and Hollywood both. So there is this concept that we have in India about being filmy, which means basically in your real life, treating your real life like it's a film or a movie. <laughs> And so, and, and it fits the Indian state of mind very well because it's, you know, essentially means being very dramatic. And as my kids say, extra in your real life. <laughs> so, so Bollywood films definitely, uh, you know, are, are very much, I think, into woven into who I am as a person, but not only in terms of being dramatic, but I think that it's really a way of looking at the world or dealing with relationships. It's, you know, where the emotional lens is just a little bit more aware and dialed up. And I say a little bit, by which I mean very. <laughs> <laughs> and and of course, I'm being facetious here. But, but I think really, you know, Bollywood films over time have been such a great way 
to kind of, you know, trap the Indian psyche. So, so you know, this whole, they're always community set. The families are always, you know, huge influences. No human stands alone, you know, in terms of uh, being part of a community. So, so it's very, so, so stylistically, I think in terms of storytelling, which I very much consider my style of storytelling, a Bollywood style. And, and by that, I don't mean you know, ridiculous, because there is one, you know, kind of melodramatic, ridiculous component to it. What I mean is, you know, is is just seeing story through a lens of emotion and seeing story always through a lens of community. And every character being, you know, individual, but their individuality being entirely wrapped up in in family and community. So that that's kind of, you know, the impact it's had on me. And then, of course, you know, seeing your world as ridiculous, <laughs> you know, wanting, wanting to, you know, really feel things. I think that a lot of people who watch Bollywood films, the, the, the most fun part of it is that you actually feel things. And I don't mean even that you're forced to feel things, but you're just in there, right? I mean, even the musicality is just these songs bursting in your head when something you know, terrible or something fabulous happens. So, so it's almost a way of processing stories and a way of processing life. So, so for sure that, you know, my books are very much that. And as for Recipe for Persuasion, it is my homage to Jane Austen's Persuasion. But of course, it stands completely alone. And by, you know, I use the term homage because it's not a retelling, really, because you won't be able to find, you know, scenes that, you know, that directly translate. It's not Jane Austen's persuasion set in the Indian community. It's its its own story that, that pays homage to what I learned from that story as a young girl. And that was that you can make mistakes and there's always a second chance that, you know, mistakes are not absolute, that hope is a real thing, which we, which I don't think until I read Austin, I was seeing a whole lot of in literature, in classic literature. So, so it's, it's my homage to what I learned as a little girl from her. And as a story, it's the story of this chef in Palo Alto who is trying to save her father's fine dining Indian restaurant. You know, for 12 years since her father died, she's been trying to rescue this restaurant. And as a last ditch effort, she goes on a food network show (laughs) called Cooking with the Stars. And of course, since it is persuasion, the celebrity she gets stuck with is the man she, you know, the man whose heart she broke back in high school, and he believes it was under familial pressure. And, you know, and this is, he's back for closure. She needs her own closure with her issues with her family. And and so all of that gets tangled up. And while it's a love story between her and this man who's gone on to become a, a World Cup winning soccer player, it's also a love story between her and her mother. And And so it's almost this two, uh, you know, it's these two parallel stories of second chances that are entangled because who Ashna is and what she allows into her life has to do with these two, you know, these two relationships, which have, you know, been almost the stone around her neck, so to speak. And and, and so it is, you know, it's a fun story, but it really also is a story that explores, you know, female relationships and especially mother-daughter relationships when a mother is a woman who refuses to do what society expected of her. 
So we are, as women, continuously taught that if we slip up, if we're not good mothers, if we're not good wives, then, you know, then we destroy the family structure. We destroy our children's lives. And it actually happens because that's the situation we're put in by society. And so when a woman stands up and says, no, I'm going to put my own desires before everything else, then there's collateral damage. And Ashna, who's the chef and our protagonist, is the collateral damage. And, and it's these two women navigating that, that distance. Wow. Well, there's a lot in there to discuss. (laughs) (laughs) You keep coming back to this idea of second chances. Is there a time in your life that you really wanted or needed a second chance? Like, does that come from something personal or or not? So, So I think growing up within the Indian community, uh, or growing up in India at that time, there, there was this sense of absolutes. So you only, you know, one mistake could throw, or at least this is what we were told. And I think it was completely nonsense narrative. But what we were told is that if you slip up, then your entire life, you know, is going to go off the rails. So so say you get in, involved with the wrong man, you know, your honor is gone forever. If you don't get the right grades and get into the right college, then your career is gone forever. So there was this, you know, this you do the right thing at the right time was, you know, was this kind of overarching motto that we were raised with and it was all around us. And I think, you know, that sense where somewhere in my heart, I knew that was not true. And and books, you know, and, and stories which focused on reinforcing that I gravitated towards. So yes, absolutely. You know, I mean, I feel like the one truth in life is that there is always a second chance, no matter how, how much it feels like there isn't. And that's why we say things like, you know, everything happens for the best. It's a stupid thing to say when really awful things happen, but it's really not, you know, because something good is going to always come. Maybe not from that one thing, but you always have the ability to make something good happen again, no matter how how bad you mess up. So, yes, it's very personal. <laughs> so, Sonali, when did you start writing? Like, when did you know you wanted to be a novelist? Have you always loved to write? Like, how did you embark on this part of the career and the business of writing? So so I've always loved to write since I was a very little girl. In fact, I think, you know, there's the story in my family where I was doing my math homework and this was back in kindergarten. And instead of doing my worksheets, I was writing couplets about the cover of the worksheet, you know, the plus and minus signs and I was making up these little poems based on that. And instead of yelling at me for not doing my homework, my mom got on the phone with her sisters, you know, and raved about how, oh, you should read these cute poems Sonali wrote, which explains a lot. Uh, and so so I think one of my oldest memories and a lot of my coping mechanisms as a child were always related to writing. So I always kind of, you know, identified as a writer. Growing up, I, you know, wasn't, it wasn't something that was deemed a career that you could use to feed yourself. And it was very sensibly not deemed so because it is a hard career to, you know, to use to feed yourself. It takes blood, sweat and tears. And even then it doesn't happen for a lot of people. So, so that was wise, you know, so I went to architecture school. I have several degrees and things and I have worked as many things, but I always, this was the overriding dream. And I think I really got obsessed about it or it became a thing that I thought I really wanted to do after I had, okay, so (laughs) this is the drama that I was talking to you about, the Bollywood style drama, (laughs) is about 10 years ago, I got TB. So I was quarantined, you know, for 
it was uh, six weeks, 10 weeks. So I, I was basically stuck in the home for a very long time and feeling very sorry for myself. And I had been trying to write. I had already gotten into the whole, I'm going to write a novel someday. And I was trying to write a very complicated novel and I'm really failing at it. And it had become this this big, again, you know, this big thing that I didn't know how to do. And then when I got sick, a, a, a close friend said to me, well, why don't you write something you love? Why don't you write something you'd love to read? And I had this love story sitting in my head and it just poured right out of me. And I think, you know, those three months when I was stuck at home, I, I kind of fell in love with the story and wrote it. And from that point on, I became obsessed with publishing it. And of course, the publishing journey is a whole, you know, a different beast from the writing journey. And, and so it took me, you know, a good two years to finish that novel, another two years to sell it. And that's basically where it started. And, and once I had gotten, you know, once you have created a world and a character and, and been part of that magic, I think it's impossible to back away from it, or that was how I, I felt. So what advice do you have then to aspiring authors who don't maybe have TB and can't dedicate themselves? For, <laughs> although I feel like, you know, as a society now, we have all been through, in part, the, the experience that must have been so unique to you and just so awful and isolating at the time. Yes, unfortunately, yes. But of course, if it's, you know, a, a, when it becomes a community experience, it's a whole different thing. But we're, let's let's talk about the writing advice. Yes. <laughs> I, I do want to stop and say that it wasn't, you know, those three months were just the time that I vomited that story out, right? So it was not anywhere near ready for public consumption. So it wasn't like I got those three months, I wrote that story and I was done. I did have, you know, at the time, two children who were in elementary and middle school, a husband who traveled, you know, five days a week, a large extended family, and you know, so a very full life. And, and if you love to do this thing, you have to start becoming very focused on what you're willing to drop off your plate because, you know, because you, you do have to, I mean, because we don't have, we're not going to be quarantined forever and it's not going to be, you know, and none of us want to be. So so this is never going to be, time in isolation is never going to be handed to you. It is something that you have to choose and curate your life to make space for that. So that's the first thing. And, and one of my favorite quotes is, if you can stop writing, you should. <laughs> so I do believe that, you know, that the only reason anyone should really be doing this is because it's such a heart, heart-wrenching and hard thing to do in the first place is is if you're doing it for any reason other than the fact that you really simply cannot not do it, then it's going to be that much, I think, more, you know, off an uh, uphill battle. And why would you want to do that? <laughs> so, so, so my advice is a learning how to distribute your energy and learning how to focus your time and making space for this thing, which needs a huge amount of emotional energy, even more than time, because you could be sitting. I mean, and and one thing that these past months have taught me is that isolation and solitude don't equal productivity. Productivity is a factor of how you manage your mental and emotional energy for a creative endeavor, right? So managing that, because we all also live 
our lives. And without lives, there is no, you can't create meaningful story. So you have to find that balance of what you're willing to let go of in terms of your time and energy and what you're willing to focus on. And I think once you have learned that, then most everything else follows is what I want to say. Hmm. All right. I definitely need to be a little more conscious of how I'm expending my energy. <laughs> That's my main takeaway here. Now, it's, it's, it's not like this. I'm great at it either. It's a, it's a day-to-day struggle. But <laughs> so, so I, you know, I, I sound like I've got this, but I don't. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least you know what you're working on. That always makes it better. <laughs> Well, Sonali, thank you so much. Thanks for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thanks for sharing Recipe for Persuasion and all of your great stuff. So thank you. Thank you so much, Zibi. It's a great show. And thanks so much for all the support. And stay safe. Stay healthy. You too. You too. Bye. (laughs) Bye Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to a Beach Reads Wednesday episode from my big July book blast. I hope you've enjoyed it. And I hope you've enjoyed getting to know some of these amazing authors. Thanks again for listening to my podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. If you liked this episode, please follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books and sign up for my mailing list at zibbyowens.com so you can always hear about the latest things I'm up to. Thanks a lot. Thanks so much to Page One Books for sponsoring today's episode. I hope you'll all check out my summer beach bundle at pageonebooks.com. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Thanks for listening. You could always email me at zibby at zibbyowens.com. Thank you.